Welcome to the Mercy Cast, where we are learning the art of compassion through the adversity of life. I am your host, Raleigh Sadler, and over the past 10 years, I've been on a journey to help people better care for their most vulnerable neighbors. Along the way, I've met a lot of friends that were on a similar journey. Each of us learning new things about ourselves and each other, the more adversity that we face. You know, an often unspoken form of adversity that each of us faces on a daily basis is anxiety. Anxiety can be defined as a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Krista struggled with anxiety her whole life. When she was a young child, she had separation anxiety that affected her both at home and at school. The anxiety waxed and waned throughout her school years, but she went away to college and loved it, graduating with a degree in psychology. Her anxiety came roaring back, though, in her early 20s. A recent newlywed, she now started a new job and purchased a home at the same time within a year. With so much change all at once, she felt so nervous that she couldn't eat. She suffered from panic attacks that made her afraid to leave home. Eventually, she was diagnosed with an eating disorder and needed to take a medical leave for treatment. Today, I'm joined by Krista McDunn. She is a licensed professional counselor. Krista, I am really excited to talk to you about how to live with anxiety because nowadays most of us would readily admit that anxiety affects us all in in some measure. That's true. That's true. And thank you, by the way, for having me. I'm so I'm so glad to be here. But yeah, anxiety is just frankly, it's a part of life. We all have it and it actually serves a purpose. Um I remember a, a friend of mine who was a counselor explained that one time that Anxiety serves a function. It, it keeps us safe, right? It keeps us, um, when we recognize the threat, it keeps us from walking out into busy traffic or, you know, something like that. That feeling we get, that little bit of fear is healthy be- because it kind of preserves us. But when anxiety becomes a, a clinical level of anxiety where it starts affecting our everyday lives, things that normally wouldn't necessarily cause us anxiety, that's where it, it becomes a problem. You know, it's interesting because to hear that anxiety can be a good thing might be a tough pill for many of us to swallow. I know for me, it's like, well, I don't want anxiety, but you're saying, well, actually, it can be a gift. And that's like many things in our lives that some things that can be a struggle can also be a gift. Like anger can be a great thing, but anger can also be misused. And I think many of us Mm -hmm. have wrestled with that as we've tried to process our own anger. And I think every emotion is like that. You reached a point where you had to take drastic measures to focus on your own healing. What was going through your mind when you realized you had to take a step back? Yeah, well, initially I was scared to death. Um, Having even to admit that I, I needed to do that, like I remember having to you know, call my employer at the time and say, like, I need to take this medical leave. And, um, you know, I was embarrassed. You know, I think at the time I felt like I should, why am I not able to handle my life? I should be, I should be able to handle my life, you know? And, and so it's a lot, therapists, I don't remember the first time I heard this, but we should on ourselves all the time, you know? And, and when we use the word should, it implies, there's judgment in that word, you know, shame can be a part of that word, um, you know, and, and I was definitely 
you know, doing a lot of the shoulds and, and just felt a lot of shame and, and maybe guilt, you know. So your expectations were kind of leading yes. you to experience shame? Yeah. And, and I even compared myself to other people. Like I knew there was another woman at work that was going through a difficult time in her marriage. To the, I, I don't know the details. She never shared it. But I remember her telling us, like, if this certain person calls for me, you know, don't transfer, you know, I think they're like, it, it, she might have had a restraining order or something against someone. And I remember thinking, like, she's having real problems. And she, she's going to work, she's functioning. What is wrong with me that I can't get it together? And so yeah, a lot of negative, you know, just self talk, you them. I was beating myself up, you know, for having an issue, having trouble. I've heard a lot of people say things like this. They'll say, I talk to myself in a different way than I talk to other people. If I talk to other people the way that I talk to myself, then I wouldn't have any friends. That is the truth. We wouldn't dream, most of us, not everybody, (laughs) but most of us would not dream of saying the the things that we say to ourselves. We would never say them to to the other people that we care about. or, or even, you know, don't know very well. Um, and uh, yeah, so, and I often, you know, I'll, when I work with clients, I will point that out, you know, like if they're concerned about how others will think of them, I'll be like, well, let's flip it. You know, if, if you had a best friend that was in that circumstance and they told you this, would you feel that way? You know, and they always say no, you know. So we do, it's like we hold ourselves to much higher standards than we would ever hold other people around us. We we have much more understanding, compassion, and grace for others typically than we do for ourselves. And so when you're holding yourself to this higher standard and you're experiencing anxiety and it's kind of coming out into your social relationships and it's impacting every facet of your life. Mm-hmm. What's the first thing that someone should do in that moment when we realize, man, like, and we may not even realize that we're experiencing anxiety because of something that's underlying it. We, we may not know where mm-hmm. our anxiety is coming from, but what's the first thing we should do? Well, um, that depends kind of where you're at in, in the process. You know, there's these um, theories of change and stages of change and um, various theories call them different things. But the first stage is, is typically one, one theory calls it pre-contemplation. Another one calls it preparation. And in a way, that's the stage where we're kind of not even aware that we have a problem. And often in that stage, maybe other people are expressing concern for us and they're noticing things. My, my, suggestion would be listen to that you know our first instinct is probably to feel defensive and to justify ourselves a little bit and defend ourselves but um if if people are saying like i'm concerned about you you seem you don't seem like yourself you know or however they might phrase it take a pause and and consider that um, but then it, as you move beyond that phase and you, re- maybe you're realizing, Hey, maybe they're onto something here. I don't feel like myself. This is out of character for me, you know, seek help, seek wise counsel. And that, you know, initially that, that might be a trusted friend. It might be a, a pastor, 
Um, and eventually it might, it might be a therapist, you know? I love this idea of listening to the things that can make us feel defensive, Hmm. you know, listening to, yeah. Right. Like when someone says something and it puts you back on your heels, you want to immediately respond and prove yourself, but saying, okay, so people have concerns that I'm not being myself. So either they don't know me or maybe right now I'm not aware of where I'm at. And so Mm -hmm. kind of sitting back and being like, okay, like, What's going on in here? What am I experiencing? That's so hard because it requires a, an element of humility. Yeah. And self-reflection, like being willing to go there and it's scary. And so I say that and I know it's really easy for me to say it, but when I experienced it, it was very difficult. And because cause keep in mind, I've got the whole, that negative, like I should be able to do this. And, and why can't I? And then if I, and I did have other people saying to me, like, are you okay? You know, something seems not right. And so then I've, I'm already realizing it myself and struggling with that. And now I've got this external input coming in that's saying the same thing. And, and sometimes it can feel like too much, you know? And, and so then, yes, we react in that defensive posture, defense mechanisms kick in and stuff. So it's, You'd have to be really intentional to be like, I'm going to sit with this for a minute and, and think about it. That, it. that doesn't, that's not easy. And it doesn't, that's not our first instinct. So it's not going to be the first thing that we do, but hopefully, you know, we can get there and, and sit with it a little bit. Yeah. And I would say also that the way you view yourself matters, like the presuppositions about ourselves that we come to the table with matter. Like if we don't see ourselves as people who struggle or don't have it together, or we want to see ourselves as someone who has it together, then when we struggle, then we're going to be really frustrated. It's like, it's kind of our own self-worth, self-concept, like that factors in. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that plays a huge role. Um, we all are always having this internal dialogue with ourselves all the time. Um, you know, the psycho pop like terms are that, you know, self-talk and things like that, but it's always happening. We just do. And much of that is automatic, um, in terms of the things that we will say to ourselves. Um, for example, I recently was, um, I took, uh, you know, my left, my next level licensing exam. And as I began prepping for that, I, I was doing a, like a two month course online and doing that. And when I first started looking at everything, my first thought was, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be able to do this. And what a dumb thing for, you know, a counselor to say to them, (laughs) you know, I should know better, right? I talk about this with clients all the time, but it was literally the first thing that I said to myself was like, I'm never going to be able to do this. And so it just, it just is automatic. Some of it comes from our upbringing. Um, that was one other thing I was going to say too. We have this, we have our own internal dialogue. We may be getting messages from other people that are saying they're concerned about us. We also may be getting messages from other people that are critical. Like, what is wrong with you? Why can't you do this? You know, you need to step it up. You're, you're falling down on the job or, you know, and things like that. So sometimes there's external criticism that's coming in that isn't helpful. And, um, and then that just compounds, you know, it's almost like that snowball effect. 
that it's rolling down the hill and, and it's that, that snowball's growing. And it, it really impacts our anxiety levels when we try to think through, okay, so I should listen to people and, and like be open, but also knowing that some people are going to say things that are very critical and very negative and they're not going to be healthy. So I have to figure out almost like an internal validation, like what is it that I'm okay with and what is it that I'm not okay with? And I can't kind of accept everything carte blanche and be like, okay, well, right. So, because that's how you get into a very unhealthy relationship. And I feel like our anxiety, it can do two things. It can send us into the arms of people or it can drive us away from people. Could you tell me a little bit about that, about like healthy and unhealthy ways to address our anxiety? Yeah. So what, what you bring up hearing those different messages, we, we have to be discerning, which can be really difficult, you know, trying to decide like, you know, whose opinion should I be listening to and who is, you know, what of this rings true and what doesn't, even that negative criticism, even if it's delivered in a healthy or an unhealthy way, there might be some grains of truth in it. You know, for example, like if, a if your supervisor at work is critical of your work because your anxiety or something else is affecting it, they may not be delivering it in the most sensitive way because they they may not be, you know, privy to everything that's going on in your life, you know, but at the same time, that's another data point for us to be like, okay, here's another person that's recognizing something in me that maybe needs to be addressed, you know, so there's that. But yeah, anxiety serves a purpose. But what often happens when we're experiencing what I'll just I'll call negative emotions that that are are not necessarily fun to deal with. They they do serve a purpose, though. Our tendency is to withdraw. And sometimes it means the best thing we can do is lean into other people, lean into relationship rather than pull away from it. Now, there's a time to be, you know, introspective and to kind of, you know, a self-examination and things like that. I'm not saying that. That can be valuable. But when that becomes the norm, when you start not wanting to engage socially with people, not not being involved in the activities that used to you used to be in, uh, interested in and would do, those are actually clinical criteria that counselors use to determine like is this you know an actual kind of diagnosable thing or you know is it just kind of normal anxiety that we all struggle with that that helps us define it so the fact that when we withdraw that's actually a symptom well and you just said so much that was like i i'm challenged by one of the things you said is when we are dealing with external criticism there could be a kernel of truth there. And so even in yeah. the negative things, what can we learn? So rather than kind of pushing it away, because if we, if we completely push away things and completely disown them, that doesn't do anything with the anxiety. It's still hanging around. We have to do some work. Right. And so I love that idea of even if someone came at me with both barrels and they just unloaded and they were just horrible, there might be there might be something that I can take. Now, the the negative response would be to either take nothing or to take it all and basically be like, what's yeah. wrong with me? 
But maybe we could realize, well, they have their own stuff going on. And so Absolutely. they didn't hand, handle themselves well. But, but we ask ourselves, is there any truth to it? And then with me, sometimes when, when I have a negative interaction with someone, I can withdraw and be like, you know what? I need, I need some time. I need a moment. Mm-hmm. I need, and, and for, for me, withdrawing is never honestly the right answer. Now, some t- if it's just for a moment or a little while, sure. But if I completely withdraw, it's very easy to just kind of be in a worse place. But I love what you're saying about leaning into connection because I believe that it requires vulnerability to not withdraw. It mm. requires vulnerability to actually re-engage. I remember going through something and I was at a big conference and I was talking to a friend and I said, I want to avoid everybody. And my friends are here and I don't even want to be around them. I don't, I don't know if I'm in a place. And the person was like, you can't not spend time with your friends. You need to do all the things you would normally do right now. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. I've always believed that vulnerability, though it scares us, yeah. it leads to the thing that every one of us craves, and that is connection with other human beings. We need connection. We always think that if I just wander away, it's like when I was a kid, my mom started the car. She didn't know that, you know, in Florida, Florida winters are weird. So cats outside don't know what to do. So the cat crawled up into the car to stay warm and she turned on the car and the cat's tail got caught and almost really ripped it off. And, you know, for you cat lovers, you know, I I know this is hard to hear, but it was a weird moment. The the cat kind of wandered off and tried to like self-soothe or whatever. And it took a while to find the cat. And then we took it to the vet. And, but we're a lot like that cat. Sometimes when we get hurt, we wander off when ultimately we need help. We need people who right. can look at us and, and help guide us. And that doesn't mean that everyone's going to be bringing the good stuff, but it does mean that we right. need people to really help us. And so I, I love that kind of idea of rather than running from, running to. Yeah, and I like the distinction, like when you said, I may retreat for a moment. They're, they're, like I had said earlier, reflection, it's probably good to reflect, right? And to, and to calm down. <laughs> so, and, you know, because if somebody comes at you with that kind of criticism or whatever, I don't know about you, but yeah, that defensive stuff gets going. And so if I'm going to handle that in a wise way, um, I'm going to, I need to inject there's emotion involved, but I need to inject some reason into it as well. And that, then I can operate from a wise place because I'm, I'm, I'm not neglecting the, how I feel about it, but I'm also bringing in factual information and analyzing what happened. And then once I've done that, now that's where the vulnerability can come in. Am I going to go back to that person and be like, you know what, I've considered what you've said you're, you're, you know, you were right. It hurt me. You know, I felt hurt when you, when you said this because, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I also recognize that there's an element of truth, even though I didn't like how you said it, maybe I understand what you said. Um, Those are just kind of basic communication skills, but, and it applies to anything, not just obviously anxiety, but but the, you hit on it. Vulnerability is so scary. Most of us are, we're too afraid to be vulnerable because, and, and, and sometimes for good reason, because we've been hurt. So yeah. we, you know, you, you, it takes discernment though. You have to be careful 
who you, you do that with and how much you share, but you don't owe everyone everything and you don't owe everyone Correct. your vulnerability. Some people, and that's been a hard lesson for me to learn. It's, and some people think they're being vulnerable when they are just kind of working their stuff out on people. That's different mm. too. You know, there are people that you can work your stuff out on. Counselors, licensed mental health professionals are great for that. They can help right. guide us. Pastors, but you can be vulnerable without doing that. And you mentioned yeah. this idea of reflection. You mentioned this idea of taking a step back. And it leads me to, I mean, when, when I first started ministry, I didn't plan to tell the story, but when I first started ministry, I remember really believing that if you believed in Jesus, then you didn't have to take meds, which, mm -hmm. now, which now I really, I disagree with that very much mm -hmm. so. I think medications can kind of give us a little space to kind of figure out what is going on. But how would you respond to someone if they say, well, if you're really a person of faith, you don't need medication for your anxiety. What would you say? Yeah, that's a that is a common thought. I, I think that's changing, you know, in uh, at least American evangelicalism and things like that. But it but it is an ongoing discussion, um, for sure. I guess my, you know, my thought is, then why, if I had asthma, wouldn't I just be able to pray more or read my Bible more and not need an inhaler? You know, um, anxiety, anger, you know, our emotions, we tend to forget that they are involved with a physical organ in our body, the brain. There is a physical basis to it. And, and so, uh, yes, we are, we are physical, emotional, and spiritual beings. We're embodied souls. And we can't, oftentimes we forget the body and the physical component that can go along with these things. Now, does that mean that every single person who has anxiety that bothers them has to go on medication? No, it does not. Um, you know, there's always research being done. Um, when I was in grad school, um, there, there's been research on gratitude and how, how intentionally focusing on what you're grateful for can be as effective or more so in some cases than antidepressant medication. That's amazing. You know, that the, the, the power of what you focus on and what you think on and how that can influence your mood. And so, and, and that is consistent with scripture, right? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yeah. You know, whatever is right, whatever is good, whatever is pure, think on these things. So this is the way God designed us. We know this to be true. However, our bodies are affected by sin, and our, that includes our minds, that includes our brains, and so sometimes things aren't functioning optimally, just as other organs in our bodies don't function optimally, and we may need medication to help that. And, and I think a lot of times people have misconceptions about the medications when they're used. Nobody is supposed to feel euphoric on these medications or never feel a negative emotion again. That's not what they're designed to do. Whenever I explain it to my clients, I always say like medications are designed to get us to kind of a baseline. Yeah. You know, almost if you think of it like a, a, a graph, that zero line of almost neutrality. So that when 
things happen that would evoke happy emotions or joy, we are going to feel, you know, happy and joyful. If things happen that are sad, we're going to feel sad. What we're trying to eliminate is the really high highs. And that would be someone, you know, who has mania, let's say. Um, and the really low lows, you know, like the, the extreme levels of depression. That's what we're, you know, and people who struggle with those things, um, we're trying to, to bring that closer back to the baseline. That doesn't mean we hit zero and stay there, but, but we just, we don't deviate high or low from zero so much anymore. And anxiety would be going on the high end of things, right? So it just helps us remain at a more steady state so that then we can figure out like, what is going on here? Do I need to deepen my spiritual relationships and spiritual discipline? Maybe the answer is yes. Um, do I need to be in a relationship with people? Maybe I've been avoiding them. Do I need to do that? Yeah, maybe. Um, there's a lot of things. Are there things in my past? Have I suffered a trauma um, that I haven't dealt with? So, But sometimes we need medications to kind of steady things out so that we can actually address those issues. But it, it's certainly not a magic thing that just fixes everything. That's not what it's designed to do at all. Well, and kind of to your, your counterpoint that you made, I remember working in, a, um, in an organization years ago. As soon as I got the job, I was told, hey, there are some changes within this organization that, yes, we know we just hired you. We know you just moved here for the job, but this position may go away across the board. So everyone who's doing what you're doing may lose their job. And I started to notice about six months in, I couldn't get a full breath at all when I was in yeah. the office. And then I noticed that other people were doing the same thing. They're like, I can't get a full breath. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? Is it something with my heart? Is it something with my lungs? I've had issues with my lungs before to where I'm like, oh no, like, is that happening again? And I go to a doctor mm -hmm. and he checks out everything. I mean, he's like, he's looking through and he says, you know what, man, I think you have anxiety, which would make sense because I'm, yep. I'm very uncertain about my future and all my cards are on the table. This is at that point in my life, being a college minister was all I knew. And so now mm -hmm. I'm like, well, if this ends, what do I do? Do, do? do I get a job at Starbucks? I mean, that's fine. Like I could sling some macchiatos, but like, what, what do I do? And when he told me it's anxiety, I was able to think, oh, now I know what it is. And he goes, well, I'm going yeah. to put you on these meds. And I'm like, actually, can we press pause on that? Because now that I know what it is, I want to see if I can manage it without that. And if I can, mm -hmm. great. And I did. And for me, it was yeah. like kind of knowing the source of anxiety. And I think a lot of us, we're experiencing anxiety, especially in the pandemic world, you know? Oh, for sure. And it's just Absolutely. like, we're all in some way experiencing this anxiety of like, oh no, what's going to happen? And and, yeah. and how do I deal with this? How would you, how would you help people have that moment that I had? How would you help people recognize, well, this is anxiety and it's a normal thing for what you're experiencing? Right. Yes. That, frankly, that's a huge part of the work that I do with people is kind of normalizing their experience that given the circumstances you just laid out to me, who wouldn't feel that way? You know, and like you said, in, in, in the example you gave, you realize I'm not breathing fully and 
I'm noticing that about all the other people. And that is, yeah, we don't when we're anxious. When we're keyed up like that, when we're waiting for the other shoe to, to, to drop, so to speak, we're not breathing. I was just explaining it this week. It's like when you're watching a super suspenseful movie and the music swells and you it's your clue that something's going to happen. What What are you doing? You're holding your breath because you know something's coming, right? That's what anxiety feels like. And it's one thing to experience it in a movie where you're going to walk out, you're going to go home and it's going to be fine. But it's another thing when you're going to work day in, day out, and, and that's what it feels like. That takes a toll on us. But when you discovered the reason for that, the same way, if I were to go to, go to the doctor, so I had, a, I had problems with my elbow and it just, it hurt, it just ached. And I thought, I can't believe how much energy this is taking for me. It's just an elbow and what's going on. And of all things, this makes me sound like a grandma, but I like to knit. I find it relaxing, but that repetitive motion of the knitting, like over and over and over was it, it basically gave me tennis elbow. I was about was to say kind of knitting thing. gave you tennis elbow. <laughs> it did. It totally did. And so what was the remedy for that? Was the doctor's first thing was like, we're going to inject you with all kinds of stuff or we're going to, we're wheeling you into surgery right now. No, the answer was, okay, you need to take a break from that activity right now. You need to rest. You need to, you know, you just need to let that muscle rest and that joint rest and, and that type of thing. So they didn't just jump right away to the the big intervention, you know, and, and the, you know, no, it was trying the smaller things first. That's completely reasonable. And there are, there's many techniques, you know, that's why, you know, a lot of people know about like deep breathing and things like that. They've heard about that. And most people initially don't like it because it's hard to do when you're feeling anxious. <laughs> you know, it's hard to, to do that, but, but there's definitely other things that you can try. But when you've tried those things and it's like, you know what, this is bigger than just a few deep breathing exercises or, you know, some, some meditation. And I don't mean like Eastern mysticism type meditation, but even scriptural meditation. Um, sometimes you may need more. And, you know, my elbow, I might have needed more. Thankfully, I didn't. It was okay. Um, but, but yeah, it, it, there's definitely other things. And, and a good therapist and a, is going to respect that. First of all, we can't prescribe anything anyway. We can't, you know, you have to see a doctor for that. Um, but yeah, a, a good therapist is going to work with you on that and, and try some of those other things for sure. So it, it doesn't, you don't have to go from zero to 60 on medications, but it's there if you need it. And there's nothing wrong with needing it if you do. In this conversation, we've talked about how we can often villainize our anxiety, but that it can actually be a good thing that can lead to our survival. It can lead to mm -hmm. our health. We talked about how we should on ourselves, how, which I think is a very funny way of saying it, but like we should on ourselves. <laughs> like we, we're ultimately in this place where expectation rules us. And it can just drive us further and further into ourselves and away from connection. And it can create this self-concept that can be negative so that when people bring external either validation or external criticism, we're reading that with, with shame rather than 
Like, how can I find a kernel of truth here? And we withdraw from the very thing that we need. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't discern whose opinion that we should be listening to. But ultimately, we should reflect. We should take a pause. We should take a moment in our anxiety and allow our anxiety to trigger that to where maybe we do need to consider medication. Maybe we need to change our self-care habits. Maybe we need to focus on certain exercises. Maybe we need to think through about our spiritual life. We need to look at ourselves as holistic beings and say, Mm -hmm. is there something lacking in my life? And so I feel like this conversation is very helpful for any of us and all of us who deal with anxiety on a daily basis. But could you give us three things that we can take home as we kind of conclude our time here? What are three things that the listeners can really employ in their lives about anxiety? Yeah, with anxiety, you know, you hinted at this. I don't know that we said it explicitly like this, but it can be kind of a red flag. You know, it's a signal um, to us. And so, yeah, you might want to, you know, ask yourself a few questions about that. Like, okay, what is this anxiety about? Is it serving a purpose? Is it trying to warn me that something's going on, you know, that I need to address? Um, And that could be just about anything. Um, But number two, do I need to rest? You know, have I just been going full tilt? And am I pushing myself too hard? Sometimes we just need rest you know, and then lastly, you know, do I need more connection, especially, as you said, in in this pandemic era, I mean, things are getting better, I think, and, you know, people are, you know, getting out there again, and we're, we're returning, I think, back to normal, but we were so isolated, and I think now we're, we're, as we're coming out of it, people are still fearful, and and almost like they've forgotten how to connect. And so how how can I connect again? And how can I feel safe connecting again? Um, because we do all all need that. Even introverts, I believe, learned during the pandemic. Like I do need people. I may not get. I don't recharge my batteries necessarily that way, but I still need them. And so yeah, we're all made for connection and relationship. So those three things would be probably my top suggestion. Krista, thank you so much for your time today and just really helping us process how anxiety impacts us and how it can be a good and bad thing as we're going through life. And it can be something that can be fruitful. I don't want to use good and bad. It can be fruitful and then it can also be counterproductive. But you've kind of given us a a map through which to, to kind of follow as we process this. And so thank you again for your time. Oh, you bet. Thanks so much for having me, Raleigh. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. If you want bonus episodes as well as a plethora of other resources, become a paid member at lmpg.org for $10 a month. You will get access to our bonus podcast, More Mercy, where we dive deeper into the conversations that we have. Also, don't forget to smash that subscribe button and leave MercyCast a five-star review. Till next time. Have mercy on yourselves and each other.